The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Amen. All right. Welcome to Snowbird. And the first ever spring marriage conference. You guys are part of history tonight. So I'm going to try to be a part of history too and be the first teacher at Snowbird to tell an entire audience that they should have sex more often. So I promise that's not, that's not what we... It's not what we tell your kids when, when you send them here. We tell them the opposite. So, but, uh, you know, we, 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 desire that, uh, we desire that our children have good pictures, uh, right? They have right thinking about sex inside of marriage and a good biblical perspective. But that starts with us as parents having good pictures about uh, the biblical perspective of marriage and what uh, sexual relationships inside of that should look like. So that's what we're going to focus on tonight. Uh, a lot of the reason that, that kind of drives this conversation, though, is I think that uh, as Christians, as the church, this is something that we've done a really good job of saying good, good boys and girls don't, but we haven't done the best jobs of saving, saying that uh, good husbands and wives do, right? Like, this is, this is a part of the intimacy that God has created in our marriage, and it should be desirable and, and pleasurable, and it should be for worship in his glory. So we should take part in that. And as we read tonight, uh, Paul says that we should take part in it often. And all God's people said, yeah. all right, good. So, so how many of you heard, heard, the, heard that mis, the misconception that Satan creates sexual desire? Right? We've heard this in a, in a, lot, of, uh, a lot of congregations. But are we sexual creatures? Yes. Do we have sexual desires? Yes. Did God create our bodies to fit together in a unique way? Right. So sex and sexual desire is a good thing that God has created for a covenant love, covenant relationship. But what happens is Satan distorts that. Satan takes that picture and, and he, he mars it through pornography and media and what we see on television and what we hear on the radio. And because of that, a lot of Christianity has taken that and just thrown the baby out with the bathwater. But as we get into the text tonight, we're going to see that this isn't anything new. All the way back in AD 55, the church at Corinth struggles with the same idea. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll start in verse 1, and we'll uh, cover the first five verses for this evening. I'll give you a second to get there. Okay, so Paul writes, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal, his conjugal, yeah, her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Did not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, 
that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So what we see here in the church of Corinth is that if you know anything about Corinth, this is a highly sexual society. Uh, the church at Corinth had, you know, they had uh, pagan prostitutes in, in the temples. Adultery was rampant. And what the church has done is they've witnessed this happening, and now they're going hard right. They're overcompensating. And so they're going, um, maybe we should be celibate. Like, maybe we shouldn't get married at all. Others are going, I'm already married. I don't want to break that covenant, so maybe I should just stop having sex inside of marriage. Good luck with that. All right? One way or another, that's not working out well. So Paul is writing to them now. So they've written to him, and they've said, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So his reply is, no. No, you, you should have sex more often. Because this is a way of maintaining holiness and, and unity in the marriage. So, this, this heresy, this idea is called Gnosticism. So, Gnosticism is the idea that the world, everything in it, our physical bodies, our sexuality, that, is all, that was all created evil. And the only thing that's good is the spirit. And so, you, you're supposed to live in the spirit. You're supposed to live above these things. Right? Well, like I said, that's heresy. That's not what God has intended. But Paul's seen this coming, so he writes in 1 Timothy, he says, uh, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciousnesses are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received by thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So what Paul's saying here is this idea of self-deprivation is demonic. He says it's the teachings of demons. But unfortunately, that hasn't kept that teaching out of the church. Martin Luther, who was, uh, that's Martin Luther, like the German reformer, not Martin Luther the king. So Martin Luther said, uh, he said that all sex is bad, but God allows it inside of marriage because marriage is more important, Right? That doesn't make any sense. God wouldn't contradict himself in that way. Martin Luther was also the guy who said that if you drink a lot of beer, you'll pass out, and you can't sin when you pass out, so you should get drunk a lot. So I'm just going to assume he was drunk whenever he wrote that first thing. <laughs> Augustine, Augustine of Hippo, he said sex inside of marriage is a good thing as long as it's not passionate. You're going to have sex, it's not passionate sex. So... <laughs> His philosophy was that the passion was what was sinful. So, praise God, Scripture is authoritative, not the teachings of Martin Luther and Augustine. So let's look at Scripture and what Scripture has to say about it. So first, let's turn to Proverbs 5. You don't have to turn that, it'll be on the board. Get the right tab here. All right, Proverbs 5, verse 18. He says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely Lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Martin Luther says, get drunk so you don't sin. Wisdom says, be intoxicated with your wife and find joy in her attributes. Both of them. (laughs) All right, Song of Solomon, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 3. This is Solomon's wife. She writes, As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. 
He brought me to the banquet house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Augustine says that, that passion is sinful, but we see here Solomon's wife, like, she is rejoicing in the emotional and physical pleasure of foreplay leading into sex. So God has given us a massive capacity for pleasure inside of sexual relationships in marriage, and he didn't do that just so it would spur us on to procreate. He could have ordained that sex would be as necessary as food, but we would have no pleasure in it at all. It would just kind of happen. But he didn't because our marriage relationship and that sexual unity is designed to be a picture of our oneness with Christ and the pleasure that we ultimately will have in him. So it's important that we get that right. So in, re- in regard to sex, if, if we look at like God-ordained sex as unclean, it's, Paul says it's sinful, like it's demonic teaching. And that if we try to practice self-deprivation and we try not to have sex, that we're not actually conforming to the will of God, we're actually contradicting it. So we see that our sexual desires are good in the context of covenant love, but many of us have a skewed view of what that looks like because our desires have been redirected in premarital relationships or adultery or pornography. So again, as Satan does, sexual sin, whether it's fornication or adultery or pornography, it collapses the foundation of covenant love and it allows guilt and shame to flood in. So as, uh, as young adults experience this or they experience it later in life, what happens is now their ideas about what sex is supposed to be is shaped in that context instead of in a loving context. And when it's not inside the safe covenant love of a relationship, now young women start to believe the only value they bring to the relationship is based off their performance or what they can provide a man. And, and men start to learn that, well, my prowess is all that matters. I have to be good at this. And what happens is that this gap starts to drift. We have this gap now that's created between what is now and what we were created to be. And that gap in between is what starts to define us. So Adam and Eve experienced this gap right after the fall in Genesis 3, verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So Adam and Eve have realized that they are no longer what they were created to be, and that there's something else, and what they do is they try to close that gap by covering themselves in a new way. A, a lot of Christians who have had uh, premarital sex or they've been in relationships like that, they try to cover themselves. They try to close the gap, and they say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deprive myself of pleasure inside of a marital relationship, inside of that context, as almost like a way of paying penance. I'm not going to allow myself because that's too fleshly. It's too much like the world. That's who I used to be. I'm not that person anymore. So now there's a lot of confusion between what used to be and now that you have this innocent love that's happening inside of marriage, you're fighting internally. The gospel says, like, that's not, that's not the way God works. We can't be depriving of ourselves, especially depriving of our spouse in that relationship because the glory of God is that he offers Grace, he offers forgiveness. So what, what God does is God rejects his self-clothing. And then in verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So there was 
the shedding of blood. There was a sacrifice, and then God closed them in a better way. This is a foreshadowing that God himself would one day close this gap by the blood of his son, and he would close us with something better, his, his righteousness. Right? This was all a picture of what was to be. So marriage is meant to display the merciful covenant love of Christ. No self-clothing act can add to the sufficiency of Christ. Because he is fully sufficient, we're free to experience the joy and pleasure of unity with our spouse. Another thing that we see here often at Snowbird, unfortunately, dealing with students on a near-weekly basis is sexual abuse. Nothing can devastate a, a relationship inside of marriage the way sexual abuse can. It destroys it. So uh, I want us to look at Psalm 10. Psalm 10, starting in verse 10. It says, The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account? But you do see For you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You've been the helper for the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of earth may strike terror no more. So if you're here tonight and sexual abuse is a part of your story, like take heart in that psalm. The Lord cares. The Lord hears. The Lord will vindicate. One day justice will be done and he will make all things right. Dan Allender, he's a uh, sexual abuse counselor. He wrote a book called The Wounded Heart. He wrote, I've never worked with an abused man or woman who did not hate or mistrust the hunger for intimacy. So, again, like if that's you, I don't need to go into the anxiety and fear and depression that, that it can bring into a relationship. But what I would encourage you is that, just one word of advice, that you and your spouse together work at this with a long game mentality. Like as the victim, every morning you get up, you're going to have to fight the lies of the enemy. Lies about your self-worth. Lies about whether or not you're dirty or you're clean. Lies that you have to perform to be accepted. Lies that nobody wants you. And every morning you get up, you have an opportunity to dive into the word of God and to counter those arguments with his scripture. Like, let the Lord, he says the Lord strengthens in the psalm. Let the Lord strengthen you and come alongside you. But have the mentality in mind that this could be a lifelong process, and you you may have to fight for this every single day. And if you're the spouse of a victim, you need to come in with compassion and empathy and patience to create an environment that's healthy so that healing can happen. Because unfortunately, if you come alongside and now your frustration gets the best of you and you start trying to add pressure because, you know, you're looking to be... Uh, gratified sexually or anything like that, that added pressure just reinforces the idea that something's broken and it's not repairable. And you can't do that to your spouse. I would give the same advice for for couples who who struggle with sexual dysfunction in any way. 
A lot of times with men, it's, it's physiological, but with women, it's psychological. The same thing applies. Fight alongside one another and create a safe environment where healing can happen because if the cross compels you to be compassionate and empathetic and patient with your spouse, then that environment is going to be a place where healing can happen in no way that's possible outside the gospel. So come alongside one another. The hope is that even though Satan has twisted God's beautiful design, it doesn't forfeit God's plan for pleasure inside your sexual relationship. That's still his design. So, going back to 1 Corinthians, let's get to the good stuff. Starting in verse 3. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Husbands, this does not always mean sex. Sometimes it means long conversations. Sometimes it means cuddling. Fulfilling the sexual desires of your wife isn't always just about sex. Wives, this is always about sex. It's never cuddling. It's never long conversations. I promise you. The, the marriage bed is designed to be, be a place of mutuality, right? Where a husband and wife are seeking to serve one another. Imagine how much healthier our marriages would be if husbands and wives sought to outdo one another in service. Like, that would be a beautiful picture. So one point I want to make before we go any further is that healthy sex starts outside of the bedroom. And then the first point I'd say is don't let the urgent outweigh the important. A lot of times, work schedules, laundry, dishes, chores, children, all those things can start taking priority. We're like, you know, we really wanted to have some time together. We really wanted to do this. But then we had our, you know, our kids came in and then I didn't get the dishes done or I didn't get the laundry done. That laundry's been sitting there for three days already. It's not that urgent. We'll get to it eventually. We, you have to be intentional about creating time for one another. If that means at nine o'clock every night at your house, it just shuts down. No kids, no chores, no phones. Like that's just your time. That's great. Like, set that block aside. Not the, the expectation every night during that block you would have sex, even though that's what most guys are thinking. But you have intentional time to invest in one another. Like, you have to be serious about it. Have a, how many of you guys have had blood work done before? Most, right? Blood work's unique, right? You take a blood sample, they put it in a little vial, and what can it tell you? It can tell you everything cholesterol, blood sugar, proteins, hormones, like it can give you such a, a broad picture of your overall health. Well, that's, the kind of, that's kind of the same way sex is in marriage. It's just a snapshot of the overall health of the marriage. If there is anger or bitterness or deceit or selfishness or anything like that outside the bedroom, it's going to show up there as well. All right? Husbands, it, If you're selfish with your time and your money and your resources and you'd rather stay late at work than come home and invest in your wife and your kids, if you're selfish there, you're probably going to come at your wife like a German blitzkrieg. Just overtake her. Run over France. Eiffel Tower down. No romance. Not happening here. Just overwhelming. Because that selfish nature that you express outside the bedroom is going to happen inside the bedroom. If you're a woman, likewise, if you tend to be manipulative with your husband and your children, 
then you're going to use sex as a tool to play puppet master to your husband. You're going to hold it over his head. You can get a lot of honeydews done with dangling that carrot all day long. And a lot of women know it. But that's not what, that's not what the marriage relationship is supposed to be. It's not about the, uh, the people in the relationship using their power in that relationship to abuse one another for, for personal gain. The idea is that we would use our power and use our strengths to give to one another, that we would outdo one another in service. Everything making sense so far? <laughs> Good. So Paul's message isn't about claiming our right. It's about giving our spouse their rights. Right? It's about relinquishing ours. So meeting each other's sexual desire is about knowing our spouses intimately. Guys, like, men and women are about as different as microwaves and crockpots. Right? Microwave. P- push the magic button. It's go time. All lights on. We're running. But when it's over, it's over. Ding. Lights off, time for popcorn. That's it. <laughs> women are more like crock pots, right? Like slow cookers. That's why I bought my wife one of them instant pots. It's a little faster. <laughs> but but think, about, like, think about a slow cooker, right? Sometimes I plug that thing in and turn it on, and 10 minutes later, I don't even know if it's running. Like, you're like, is it warm yet? Okay, getting a little bit warmer, right? We're almost there. That's the way women are, right? They're slow to warm up, but they get really hot and they stay hot a lot longer, all right? <laughs> I, uh, you guys have those keynote slides? All right, so just some basic differences between men and women. Men are aroused visually. Women are aroused emotionally. Guys hit their sexual prime in their early 20s. Most women hit their sexual primes in their 30s and 40s. Good news for us. Men, desires are affected by constant hormones. Women, their desires are affected by changing hormones. Amen. Um, (laughs) Guys, immediate stimulation in one place. Women want to be touched everywhere. I think we have one more slide. Yes. Men, sex leads to feeling loved. Women, feeling loved leads to sex. Guys are quickly aroused and satisfied. Women are slowly aroused and satisfied. For guys, the best part of sex is releasing tension. For women, the best part of sex is the buildup of tension. So we see that God has created us very different, right? But that difference was not because a mistake in his design. God has created our relationships to be sanctifying. Like He wants us to grow in service to one another. Our marriages are supposed to be a picture of the gospel. If my wife wanted sex the same way I wanted it, and she liked to be touched the same way I like to be touched, it wouldn't cost me very much to meet that need, would it? No. But that's not the way God created us. He made us differently because mostly I think that he, he desires that we would have intimacy and we would have to communicate. So, The Lord wants our marriages to teach us the same unconditional, sacrificial, covenant love that he offers us. So as a husband, I owe it to my wife to meet her sexual desires. And I owe it to her to know everything that I possibly can about what what pleases her. That means that we have to have conversation. We have to be intentional about opening that door. Whenever, Whenever I... You know, my wife and I enter into the bedroom. 
My goal should always be her climax, not mine. And all the Baptists just freaked out a little bit. They're like, you said climax on the stage. It's bad. So, <laughs> but if you want to know your spouse's sexual likes and dislikes, it's going to take communication. It's going to take conversation. And that conversation isn't best had like five seconds before, like, is this good? Like, is this how you want this to go? No, like, it needs to happen in the light of day. Like, we need to have this in, in a normal conversation where, where maybe sex isn't even on the, on the table at the time. Like, we need to have open air to have that. Now, you can talk during sex. I'm not saying that. That may sound weird to some people. You can even open your eyes or turn the lights on. Like, there's a lot of crazy stuff you can do. <laughs> but, but in, in our relationships, though, like, we should desire to fulfill each other's needs. Like, we should desire to please our spouse. And, and we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our spouses not to allow our sexual relationships to become mundane or routine. Because our relationships are supposed to be a picture of the gospel, and there's nothing mundane or routine about Christ and his church. It's full of pleasure. It's full of adventure. It's full of excitement. That's how our relationships should be. There's nothing that interesting about your ceiling fan anyways. That's a bad joke. I'm sorry. All right. All right, final. First uh, Corinthians 7.5. It says, Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Ken Hughes, he wrote, To the ascetic who views frequent marital sexual activity as being less than holy, Scripture says that married couples should have regular sex in order to remain holy. So Paul concedes that there should be a time where we can separate for, for prayer and fasting, but he says come together quickly. And why does he say that? Because Paul recognizes that sex in, inside a marriage relationship is a part of spiritual warfare. It's part of the way we wage war against the enemy. James 1, 14 through 15, it says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Like, Satan is literally, intentionally on the prowl, seeking to devour Christian marriages. We see men and women in the church falling to pornography and affairs left and right. Because our marriages are meant to be a portrait of the gospel. And he wants to destroy that. He doesn't want it to be a healthy image. He wants to distort it like anything else. And Paul warns that if we neglect or downplay the importance of sexual intimacy, that the enemy will twist and distort desires in a way that it conceives sin, and that sin brings forth death. So as husbands and wives, we should be sanctifying agents in our marriage relationship, we should be constantly pointing one another to Christ. And the way we do that in, uh, through sex and marriage is that we, we give sacrificially of one another. We relinquish our rights as a way of guarding our spouse's heart and creating and growing an intimacy. So as we wrap things up tonight, I just want to say that um, this weekend we should all be working to regain a Christ's centered perspective in our marriage not just in the bedroom but as we go about those conversations we should we should be wise about how we handle those guys just as just as scripture calls you to to lead in all things like lead in the marriage i encourage you to lead in that conversation tonight like don't let this go by without talking about it 
Don't just push this off to the side. Like, be open. So first point I want to say is, before you have that conversation, one, have an honest talk with God. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Ask the Lord to reveal if there's any selfish desires in your heart. If there's any way that you haven't served your spouse well. If there's some selfish game that you're seeking out of that conversation before you enter into it. Then I'd encourage you to have an honest talk with your spouse. First, seeking out if there's any way that you've grieved them. Have, have I belittled? Have I abused you in any way? Have I criticized? Have I been controlling? Have I been manipulative? And then after that, if, if your wife has, has grieved, or I'm sorry, your wife or husband, if your spouse has grieved you in any way, then bring that forward, but do so with love and grace and tenderness and compassion. Scripture says speak the truth in love, and that love covers a multitude of sins. Remember that you are one flesh, one spirit together, so you should be showing the same grace and empathy that you would, you would desire for yourself. And then lastly, do the hard work. Some of, the, some of you, that's going to be really hard conversations. It's going to be really difficult things to work through. But commit to it. Commit to doing the work. Our marriages are supposed to be a picture of the gospel. Our sexual relationships have been created to be good inside of that. So based on those two things, right, it's worth getting right. So let's be sure that we really invest in that this weekend. And, and I pray that our time from here on forward, that, that you guys will continue to, to grow in NFC and keep that conversation going throughout the weekend so you guys can see some real growth. So let me pray for us. Father, we, th- we thank you for your word. We thank you for the beautiful gifts that you've given us inside relationship. And Lord, that uh, you, you've given us grace and mercy and that we're called to display that to one another. I pray that this weekend, uh, these couples have beautiful opportunities to invest in one another, that great conversation happens, uh, that, Lord, where rest is needed, rest is there. Uh, Lord, that you just bring a sanctifying growth, that, that we, we grow in one another. Lord, that we grow in love, we grow in compassion, we grow in service. I pray that their, their time here will be great. I pray for uh, the men that will be continuing to teach uh, this weekend. I pray for the panel tomorrow. Lord, uh, again, we just hope that this weekend glorifies you, that you'll be exalted because of it, and, and couples will go home more equipped uh, to lead their families well and uh, have a gospel impact on this generation. In Jesus' name, amen.